1 Peter chapter 4. If you would take your Bibles, please, our text this morning. As we start a new chapter in our study on 1 Peter, our text will be the first six verses. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I want to welcome you here this morning. If this is your first time here at Big Woods, a special welcome to you. Uh, regardless of the circumstances of why you have come, if someone has drugged you kicking and screaming to church this morning, I am glad that you are here. Um, God has an amazing plan for us. Whenever um, his word is open, there is something that he has for you and I to learn. You're probably like me in a sense, you have an inbox. Every day you check your inbox and you're probably like me in a sense that every day your inbox is filled with junk and junk mail and you start hitting these things like delete and delete and throw away and leave me alone. If you see an email in your inbox from Pastor Tim, please do not delete it. We are dedicating uh, 31 consecutive days in the month of this July, July to prayer every single day. We are setting a set time aside to pray for what God is doing here. We have set a vision that we are committed to build relationships so that God is glorified and lives are transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let, let me assure you, it will only happen. That will only be accomplished as we are praying together. Remember that? We can program ourselves to death. We can have ministries. We can do what? Serve coffee and donuts. If we are not on our knees in prayer, we will not accomplish what I believe God has called us to accomplish. So that is an important reminder of 31 days of prayer. With that thought, we need to go to the throne of grace and ask for God's leading and guiding this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we come once again only because of your grace into your presence. Lord, we are, we are so grateful for who you are, that you have created us, every single person that is here, created us in your image. And not only, Lord, have you created us, but you have given to us a purpose that we live in such a way that reflects your glory. Father, we know that we cannot, we cannot do that on our own. We are in desperate need of you. We are grateful for the ministry of our Messiah, Jesus Christ, and for what he has accomplished on the cross so that we can reflect your glory. Father, as we have just a few moments now, I would ask that you would guard my lips and my mouth, guard my mind. Lord, and I would ask for every person that is here that you would, um, that you would speak, that we together would listen and learn, that we would leave this building in a few moments knowing who we are and who you are and what you've called us to do. 
God, we are in desperate need of your spirit to give to us the strength to do it, to be obedient. May you be glorified. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen and amen. First Peter chapter 4. Let me, let me read this text to you, uh, the first six verses. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. It's a text that as, as, as I even touch the text, I leave my smudges and fingerprints all over it. It is a, it is a text that is an amazing text. First Peter is a book that is a practical book, and it's in these few verses that you will feel the practical punch, the full force of Peter's words. Let me direct your attention to one phrase out of verse 2. It kind of holds the big idea. Um, of our text, it says this, live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That's kind of the big idea. Think about it like this. Today, this day, July the 12th, 2015, separates every single day, every single action, every single word in your past, and it separates Every single thing that you will do in the future until you what? Until you are dead. It says as long for the rest of the time in the flesh until you die. Big idea is you are to live for the will of God. Now, hopefully you've, you've gathered this idea, this, this central theme that has woven its way throughout the book of First Peter. Successful Christians live submissive lives. And so it's all about submission. It's all about surrender. We submit to the civil authorities, to those in government. We submit to those in our home. We submit to those in church. We submit to one another. And so hopefully, hopefully, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you come to this place and you say, all right, I got it. I got it. I give up. I surrender. Hopefully you've come to that place. I submit entirely. And you say, okay, God, I am all in. It is all about you. I am completely sold out. I am committed, dedicated, devoted. We have a plan, right? 
A good friend of mine says, if you have a plan, you have to have a plan in order to accomplish the plan. Does that make sense? He is really a good guy, but he told me that. It's this idea that says, if we're going to accomplish what God has called us to do, it's going to require us to think differently than we presently think. We have this idea that says, okay, God, I'm all there for you. And then automatically it's like super Christian and we're here to rescue the rest of the world. J.I. Pack, a great theologian, he wrote, knowing God says this, and I quote, Christians often imagine themselves to be strong, healthy, and holy. But the way to health is to recognize that we are weak, we are sick, and we are sinful. And so this idea of, yes, we're all in, yes, we're all about submission, we're all about surrender, it's going to come differently than you think. Peter gets this. And so he begins with this idea about what? Since therefore Christ has suffered. We begin to think like him, which brings me to my first point this morning. You and I, if we're going to live with a new look at life, we're going to learn to live first and foremost with a new mind. You got to live with a new mind. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Another translation says, arm yourselves with a new mind. We get this idea that Christ suffered. Christ was beat. Christ bled for us. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ rose from the dead. Christ is victorious. That we begin to live with an understanding that our mind is to think entirely exactly how Christ thinks. You and I, from this moment forward, are to strive to have a new mind. Now, you hear that phrase, and I like that phrase, new mind. I love new things. Don't you love to open up the package of something, and it's new, and it has like, it has that new smell. It's shiny, and it's clean, and it works. It's supposed to work. It's new. It's what God is calling us to. Now, we think about this idea of having a new mind. It's not quite the same as, as getting a new pair of sneakers. It's not quite the same. Imagine if it was like this. You kind of drive through the drive-thru. I'll take a bacon double cheeseburger, large fries, large Coke. I'll take a new mind, please. Yeah, I want the 141 IQ. Wouldn't it be cool if we could? It's not like that. Although you and I would quickly say that we are in need often of a new mind. We had a precious older lady in, in a church I pastored up in, in Maine. Her, her name was Clara, and she was getting older and older, and she was in her 90s. And I remember one time she had us over for dinner, and, and after dinner, beautiful, beautiful dinner, wonderful cook, she offered us some cookies. And we ate the cookies, and, and they tasted interesting. They tasted different. And we tried to kind of hide our reaction, but it was obvious, like something. And Clara's like, well, what's the matter? And I was like, it's kind of, this is a different cookie. And, and she said, and she looked at it, and she got her recipe out, and she was looking, and it said one teaspoon of BP, which is baking powder. As soon as she saw that, she's like, and she looked at her little spite, and she's like, oh, I put in one teaspoon of BP, black pepper. That's why it didn't 
you ever, you ever do something and you're just like, oh, oh, my. And, and there is this desire to have a new mind. When Peter uses this term, new thinking, new mind, he's not just thinking about our brain, our cognitive ability. He's thinking about the way that we actually think by way of the thought pattern, the desires that we have. You can conclude in, in such a way that you're to think differently than the way that you are to think right now. You're to live and to think like Christ, who is what? He was absolutely purposeful in everything that he did. In every thought that he had, there was a plan to it. We're to think like Christ. Christ did not, okay, wake up in the morning, perhaps on a day off like you've had before, kind of think about what is it that I want to accomplish today? I wonder what it is, is I could do. Christ never thought about that. He lived with an exact purpose. He knew exactly what he was. He knew why he was here. He knew what his will of his father was in order to accomplish. And that's what you and I are supposed to Every movement, every word, every interaction, every conversation is to have a purpose to it with an understanding like Christ. Christ suffered, he had an awareness of his suffering and he prepared for that. Christ suffered and he chose willingly. You and I complain, we, we, uh, things don't go exactly according to our way and all of a sudden it's just a huge fuss. And that's, that's, not, what, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be expectant. We're supposed to think purposefully like Christ. Peter knows this is not going to be easy. That's why he uses this term. It's a military term. He says this in verse 1, arm yourselves. You only arm yourselves if you're going where? You go into battle. And it's not the way that you would think, okay, grab your helmet, your flak jacket, grab a, a shovel and dig a foxhole and hold tight onto your gun. It's not that. He's saying arm yourselves with the same thinking, with the same mind, by getting ready to think exactly as the Lord Jesus Christ thought. What does that look like? Recognize the reality of suffering and death that is imminent. And not only that, but Jesus Christ lives with an understanding of the big picture. He knows how it's going to end. Matter of fact, according to what we see in Scripture, and we can read it, you know how it's going to end. You know, when you think like Christ, ultimately you offer your life, you surrender and submit entirely. Guess what? We win with Christ in the end. We know that. And so this is idea that we completely put away our thinking from the way the rest of the world thinks and we think differently. We think we have a mind like Christ. And we exchange that which is normal and natural, that which is physical for the spiritual every day. We exchange that which is visible, that which is in front of us for the invisible. We exchange that which is temporal for that which is eternal. I find that we live such tiny lives. Like what's in front of us just right here. And we have no awareness. We have no understanding as far as the trajectory that God has for your life in his sovereign plan, and you get to have a tiny little part, but you get a glimpse of the big picture, regardless of how hard it is for you, regardless of how difficult it is for you. 
There's individuals that have shown us, have been examples for us. I, I love history. I've, I've, I've read and I appreciate church history. I'm always touched by those who took a stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was reading just this week of a Scottish reformer. His name was George Wishart. In the 1500s, he was a Scottish Anglican bishop. He was an author. Uh, he, was, he was a forerunner of, of John Knox. And he, in a sense, was bold enough to preach the gospel, although those came to him and said, no, you, you can't do that any longer. In fact, you've got you to put this away, and you've got to preach what we tell you to And he refused to do that. And he said, well, this is not going to end well for you. And he said, that's okay. I understand what my calling is. And he, he would not stop preaching the full portion of God's word. He would not stop preaching the full gospel. They ran him through a, a, a sham trial. And literally within one day, they found him guilty of, of heresy. And they said that they were going to hang him and then burn his body. That's exactly what they did. But George Wishart, as he was led to this fire that was before him, says this, and I quote, it says, when he came to the fire, he sunk down upon his knees. He rose again and thrice, three times, he repeated these words. Oh, thou savior of the world, have mercy on me, father of heaven. I commend my spirit into thy holy hands. And then it says, he turned to the people and he said, he speaks to his brothers and sisters in Christ who were there witnessing which it says, and I quote, I beseech you, Christian brethren and sisters, that you be not offended with the word of God for the affliction and torments which you see prepared for me. But I exhort you that you love the word of God and suffer patiently and with a comfortable heart for the word's sake, which is your undoubted salvation and everlasting comfort. And they hung him and they burned his body. And his last words were to brothers and sisters in Christ, just like you and I this morning, saying, take comfort in this. We know how it ends. And we have to constantly, consistently be reminded to have a mind like Christ. Wisher took to heart as many of our forefathers did who suffered, many Christians, even in dangerous places throughout the world today, who are willing to suffer for their faith, understood the words of the Apostle Paul as he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. I know it's easy for us to sit here and say, yeah, but we're, uh, we're in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania in 2015. It's kind of nice here we're not in danger of being martyred for our faith no you're correct at this moment but you are called and it is required for you to be bold for the gospel in your workplace it is required of you to be brave for the gospel in your classroom it is required of all of us to be vocal and visible clear communicators of the gospel. And yet, sadly, there are many people in this very room at this very moment 
who are afraid to do even that. You're not being hauled before the gallows to be hung. You're not, you're not being hauled before a burning fire that your body will be burned in moments. And yet we're afraid, sadly, to take a stand and say, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to do that because that's not what followers of Christ do. No, I'm not going there because that's not what followers of Christ do. Sadly, the level of our commitments for much of America in the 21st century is, is I'll, I'll be there, I'll show up for an hour on Sunday morning if, if it's not a party going on someplace or a picnic or a practice or a game or a swim meet or a ball tournament. That, that, that's, that's in a sense where, where the commitment level has been reduced to. And that's not what we're talking about when we develop a new mind, a new way of thinking, the way that Christ lives purposeful and plans in every word, every step, every conversation. I have a new way of living. You've got to have a new mind. Secondly, you have to live with a new goal. You have to live with a new goal. It says live for the rest of the time in the flesh. It means you live from this moment until the day you die no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. What it means is we live with a goal in mind, and we live in a, we live in a culture, we live in a country that loves goals. We set goals all the time. And what's amazing, what has made America great is that we accomplish our goals. It's all about achievements and accomplishments. We hit almost every goal that we ever set. Now, Peter says, you want to hit a goal, you're going to live entirely different. Basic premise here, the biblical principle that we need to hear and not forget is that when you put your faith and your trust in Christ, you offer your whole hearts. Lord, I, I am yours. You, you put your entire life into the hands of the work of Jesus Christ and what was accomplished for you on that cross. You live differently than the way you used to live. If you, have a, if you have a new mind, you think differently. If you establish a new goal, you actually live differently. And it says, literally, you live no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. It means no longer. And you mark the day, you mark the time. No longer will I live as a creature of my own appetite. Constantly, what happens is that we follow the cravings and the hungers and the lusts of this world. And that's where we move. Peter's saying, no, no, no. That's not how you're supposed to move. That's not how you're supposed to live. It's not about your wants. It's not about your wishes. It's not about your desires and your cravings. You live for the will of God. I love how the Apostle Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 17. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things become new. This, this, this reeks of repentance everywhere. I had a conversation with a brand new believer just this week. And, and, and in shock, he, he literally he said this direct quote. He goes, 
I'm different than I used to be. I said, oh, really? I said, so what does that mean? He goes, I, like, I'm talking different than I used to talk. He said, my whole life is different than it once was. I think that is an amazing, amazing testimony. That's what Peter is describing, lives of Christians. Whether or not it's first century church or whether or not 21st century church, with Christ in your life, you have an entirely different motive for living. With Christ in your life, you don't live as a slave to your own lusts. With Christ in your life, he gives you the strength and the fortitude to keep your body in check and live differently than you once lived. Peter actually goes on. He describes very specific areas. There's a list, as a matter of fact. He, He gives a detailed description of what the Lord Jesus Christ can give you victory over. He talks about personally, sensuality, passions or lust, drunkenness. God can give you victory over those. It talks about those socially, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatries. Jesus Christ gives victory over all those things. I, I get to hear. I love to hear. One of the greatest blessings of my job is that I can sit with someone and I can hear a testimony like this. I've heard recently, it's been three months since I've had a drink of alcohol. And God has given me victory. Praise God for that. I get to hear that. I, I, I get to hear, as I did recently, it's been one year, one year today since I've used any drugs at all. My system, it's clean. And God is doing something in my life. It's not what it used to be. That's individuals who what, have a new mind and they live with a new goal on where they're going. But it also says what? The truth of scripture is get ready for this. Because you used to hang with people. It says your old friends, they'll watch you. And it actually talks about how they're going to respond to you. In verse 4, it says that they will be surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they will malign you. It's interesting, and I've heard this testimony, that when you no longer run with the same pack, they say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going there. That they're the ones who give you a difficult time. Oh, so you're like Mr. Spiritual now? So you're goody two-shoes now? Oh, you're better than us, right? And they mock, and they malign, and they make fun. What is interesting is that those people, and listen to this term, who live in a flood of debauchery want you there with them. Who, who wants to wake up alone in their own vomit after being drunk all night long? No, no, they, they want, why? My mama used to say, misery loves company. And so you, you set a trajectory that says, no, I'm not, living, I'm not living like that. I'm not going there. That's not a goal anymore. Then, then you will face, you, you'll hear it all by way of the mocking and the maligning. We understand when we live what? We live by the word of God. We live controlled by the spirit of God. He produces change from the inside out. And it will shock people. It will rock 
people's thinking. What happened to you? Why are you so different? And all the glory, all the glory goes to God. It's what happens when we have a new mind and we set a new goal. Thirdly and finally, we are to live with a new perspective on souls, judgment, and eternity. We're going to live, we need to live with a new perspective on souls, judgment, and eternity. It says this, those that are living like the Gentiles. Okay, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. There are many. What, What we need to understand, if we're going, okay, today... Everything in the past is in the past. Today, for the rest of our time, the rest of our time here on earth, we're not going to live according to the passions of our own flesh before the will of God. Then we have to understand, you have to have an awareness that there are many, many, there are millions upon millions of people who are living and doing what the Gentiles do, living in their sin. And you know many of them personally. There are many who live in a flood of debauchery, very descriptive. You know some. There are those, there are many that will malign. You today, at this very moment, need to be reminded and aware of the fact that those individuals will give account to him who is ready to judge. Our flesh immediately races to what? Well, they'll get what they deserve, and that is so wrong. No, no, no. Do you realize those people that you see, that you that you go to school with, or ride the bus with, or you play on a team with, or you have a barbecue with, those people will give account to give. Account means that they have to give an answer. To give an answer for the reason that they have completely rejected the gospel that was preached to them. Do you realize that people that you know are going to have to give an answer for the fact that they rejected the gospel that was offered? And understand this, any answer, any excuse they give, and you'll hear a thousand of them today, Yo, I only get one day off. I don't think the church is the place for me. There will, there will be all kinds. I'm just, I'm just too busy later on, maybe. That whole Christian thing, that is exhausting. You guys are really committed. Your excuses is just too hard. It's too confining. Who wants to be a Christian? It is too uncool. It is too unfun. It's too restraining. There's a thousand excuses. Those that give an answer, there is no excuse. There's nothing that they can say that can hold at that moment the hands of a wrathful, just God. It's amazing here is that it says what? This is a reminder of future judgment. And it's not just those who are rejecting. It's actually what? The living and the dead. Another translation says the quick and the dead. The quick are those that are alive. And those that are not too quick are those that are dead. It, it, it virtually covers everyone. This is not a select few. Okay, all the bad people line up over here and you're going to be judged. No, no. 
we're there. We're going to be judged. Revelation chapter 20, it speaks about this great white throne of judgment. Giving account, pause on this, giving account for something that you have been offered and rejected is terrifying. Terrifying, it's not even, it's horrifying. Giving account for something that you have been offered and accepted. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Have mercy on my soul. Then, then, then giving account for something that you've been offered and accepted is a thrilling, amazing, and exciting reward and blessing. And so, so we have to be reminded of that. We need to have moments like this where we get a new perspective on the eternality of souls. Every single person is going to face judgment and eternity in one or two places. Finally, Peter says this in verse 6. He addresses what happens specifically to those people who the gospel is preached to and they accept it. Sure, they will die bodily or physically, every single one of us. But ultimately, it says they will live in the spirit the way that God does. This is talking about the fact that the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ offers hope and it is the hope of eternal life. A dead Christian is really not dead, if you think of it like that. They're alive in the spirit. One of my, my heroes of the, of the faith, D.L. Moody, says this, great evangelist from the 19th century. L- listen to this, D.L. Moody writes, and I quote, Someday you will read in the newspapers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield, Massachusetts is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have come up higher, that is all, of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the spirit will live forever. You realize that we have the hope. We have the hope of being forever alive with the Lord when we put our full trust and our full faith in the work of the gospel. And we can rest in that as we should but we can also use that as a motivating factor to realize that there are many, many people that are living in a flood of debauchery and enter into that you with his word and with his spirit. And so we have, we have, a, re, we have a reminder and we have a responsibility before us to be obedient to scripture We live with a new look on life. We live with a new mind. We live with a new goal. We live with a new perspective and understanding and awareness of souls, judgment, and eternity that God gives us and equips us with the ability to be obedient, speak the truth into the lives of those that we care for. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for your word. I would ask that we through your spirit, would have a renewed sense of understanding 
that from this moment onward until the day that we die, we are to live with a clear plan. Willing to suffer as Christ suffered, but knowing the hope that exists as we put our faith and our trust in his work, not our own. God, we are in desperate need of you to give us the means, the ability, the fortitude, the the strength to continue to live in such a way that you are glorified. God, help us to do that. Give us strength to do that and to do that well. We ask this in Christ's name.